What is good, NBA fans? Welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. I'm your host, Matt Nost, and we are here to talk about all the NBA action we possibly can in roughly about an hour's time. Um, well, brought it up last time about potential records that will fall um, and ones that won't, whatever else, after Steph Curry's historic uh, uh, taking of the overall three-point shooting. And we have more records that have fallen in this past week. Um, the most interesting, I think, is the fact that Greg Monroe playing the other night for the Minnesota Timberwolves marks 541 players that have played an NBA game this season, which is the most of a season of all time. And we're not even halfway through, baby. That just shows you how weird this season is, man. And Greg Monroe played pretty damn well, actually. Um, there's, you know, there's been a few guys that have checked in so far <coughs> that have been nice to see and have contributed. Um, you know, Isaiah Thomas they had a first good game, but now he's gone from the Lakers. It looks like he's going to sign with the Mavs. Uh, Iso Joe being back in the league, Lance Stevenson for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and then there's a whole cavalcade of individuals. Alfonso McKinney has signed with the Bulls for the, the rest of the season uh, off a 10-day contract. Um, but there have been numerous guys that are getting a shot in the league. Um, the most frustrating for some of them have got to be the ones that have signed 10 days and haven't actually made it on to the court. Um, and I'm not talking about the ones that have signed 10 days and then immediately gone into health and safety protocols, just the ones that signed 10 days and are thinking, here it is, my shot to prove that I can actually play in this league and they still can't make it onto the court. That's got to be frustrating as all hell. You just want to get out there and show that you belong. But uh, that 541, man, that is that is a boatload of players so far this season. Um, That's, you know, I can't wait to see what that final stat is by the end of the season. How many actual individuals played this year? But right now we stand at 541. Um, last I checked, there were over 100 guys in health and safety protocols. So it's been a strange year. But there have been other records. I mean, Steph last night got to 3,000 threes. Um, and I don't know how many more of these. I guess at this point, you just celebrate the really huge milestones. So maybe 3,500 or 4,000, but 3,000 is a big number. Um, and another interesting stat that uh, came up was the fact that LeBron is now in the 36,000-point club, and he's the quickest to ever do it. But the more interesting stat was put out by uh, NBA Stats on Twitter was that LeBron is the quickest to 1,000 points, 2,000 points, 3,000 points on up every single milestone like that to 36,000. It's, I mean, that's crazy impressive. Um, 1,000 through 36,000. LeBron is the quickest ever to everyone, uh, every, each of those benchmarks. Congratulations, LeBron James. Um, but I do have a bone to pick with LeBron, and it's the excuses that are coming out for them being a game under 500 right now, you know, basically the woe is me. We're dealing with injuries and COVID 
unlike any other team. And that's just, that's not the case. Other teams have had to not play games because they couldn't even remotely come close to fielding a team. Um, so you're just trying to find excuses for the fact that this team doesn't exactly make sense. I found it interesting last night that he uh, was playing the five and curious as to whether or not that's even remotely sustainable, given the fact that he's you know, 37 years old uh, or he'll be 37 in a matter of days. Um, but the whole idea that basically just creating a narrative as to why they're not doing as well as everybody projected them this season. And I understand you have certain expectations. You're LeBron. This is the Lakers. This fan base has uh, a desire to be a champion. They have a feeling they should be a champion each and every year. Uh, but creating a narrative around, well, nobody's had it tougher than us when that's just not the case. And I'm not exactly sure who you think is going to co-sign that uh, sentiment outside of other Laker fans. Just, I don't know, own up to the fact that this team, as it's constructed, doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's got tremendous flaws. And the only way it's going to be successful long-term is if AD can play at top 75 of all time AD for an entire season. And I, I mean... He's never done that. It's just not in his DNA as far as a professional basketball player. So if you need that, given the fact that you sacrifice so much depth to bring in Westbrook, um, you need to basically like, this is your bed. You need to lie in it. You can't, you can't point fingers at anyone other than the Lakers pointing them at themselves because you created this situation. Uh, so it just the, the narrative around why they're not doing as well as they should. It's just, you know, like last night I watched a chunk of that Houston game and thankfully I happened to catch that, uh, <coughs> Suns and, uh, uh, Grizzlies game. And that was awesome. But the Lakers, uh, Rockets game. The Rockets were taking it to him. I actually thought the Rockets were going to win, but I had to turn it off uh, before the end of the game. And I thought they would actually be able to pull that one out. I mean, they're, I don't know, depending on the night that you face them, they can be a tough team. I mean, they just got crushed by the Hornets the game before, but they have played strong against other teams um, and especially top tier teams. They show up against them. It's almost like they need the extra motivation to prove that they're as good as the best, even though they're not in the same discussion right now. And it's a bunch of young guys, but still that that Rockets game, I thought they were going to take it to them. Um, but the, the better game was the Suns Grizzly game. I mean, that was a Grizzlies ran out to a big lead. And the Suns just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, and then finally took the lead back. They had not led since the opening minutes of the first quarter and then come back to take the lead late in game. And then Ja goes down and goes one on three-ish. I mean, he got that um, screen, not screen, where it looked like potentially he could hand off. And then Chris Paul hedged a little too far over and Ja just blows down into the lane, goes up, hangs in the air, and nails that little bank floater with a half a second left. I mean, it was pretty fantastic to watch. Uh, that being said, 
<laughs> I think it's a testament to the Suns' resiliency where they're, you know, everybody's entitled to an off night. Look at the Warriors last night against uh, the Nuggets. I mean, the Warriors just shot so piss poor in the first half that it took Steph heating up in the second um, to even keep them remotely in this game and the Warriors holding the Nuggets to, I think it was 29 points in the second half. Um, but the the Suns, let's get back to them. You know, they're in all these games. And I think that's true test of whether or not they have championship aspirations that are founded, well-founded or not. Is Everybody's going to lose. It's inevitable. It's how you basically handle yourself in those losses. They didn't give up. They kept, you know, uh, pressing and pushing. And yeah, they've got, you know, guys out. DeAndre Ayton was not playing, uh, but that is the case for all teams right now. Uh, Dylan Brooks was out for the Grizzlies. Um, you can make a case that DeAndre Jordan is, or pardon me, DeAndre Ayton is a, a more important part of what the Suns makeup overall is. Um, but I, th- I think that is, you know, I guess debatable on some level. <clears throat> Although it's interesting, you know, all the talk that I mentioned at the end of the show uh, last week with the people saying that maybe the Grizzlies are better without Ja and rightly his teammates all saying that's hogwash. Uh, guy's awesome. And we need him if we're going to win. That is the case. I mean, he needs to improve his defense um, and on certain nights his shot selection. But given his age, it's he's wildly impressive each and every night to assume. So, so for people to point at them and be like, well, maybe, maybe they're better without him. It's just like, I don't know if you watch these games, but they really feed off of his energy and his identity. And it fuels them um, to the heights of what they potentially could be. And right now <coughs> they're well into the playoffs, nowhere near the play in, you know, uh game situation. And if they maintain on this current level, you know, they're going to end up at four or five range in the West. And that's saying something. If they can get to four, they have home court in that opening round. That's massive for a team as young as they are. Um, But once again, though, the Suns did not give up. When Booker hit that three, the momentum and the feeling in the building was pretty palpable that everybody believed, okay, we got him. They gave it to us all night, but ultimately, we got him. And then to watch Ja come down and uh, make a hell of a shot, it's just, I think it's a testament to both sides. It's an evenly matched game. Both played well. I can't wait to see what this is like later in the season if both teams are at full health. Um, But so then the flip side of that, the other team atop the West, the Warriors, so Draymond is out, which means their defensive identity is going to take a massive hit. I mean, Draymond is currently the odds-on favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year, and uh, rightly so being atop that conversation. There are quite a few guys that you can make a case for um, saying they should be in this discussion of Defensive Player of the Year. Gobert is in there. Um, I think Giannis needs to be in this discussion. And also, technically, by the numbers, the two best defensive guards in the league are Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. So that's that's pretty sweet. 
as a Bulls fan. Um, and it also bolsters what you watch because I think the the Bulls as a team take a lot of their identity and heart and intensity from those two guys, watching them put their bodies on the line and play excellent defense. It only leads to more guys playing better defense because they can see those two locked in and sacrificing themselves to just be a pest. Then they're more apt to do it as well. And it's changed a lot of the culture of what we can do. Um, But as far as the, the Warriors and Nuggets game last night, what's interesting about like all these discussions, you can talk about like defensive player of the year and Draymond being out. I think the flip side of that for the MVP, Jokic is not fully in the discussion and it's because the team is not as good as people had hoped, but Michael Porter Jr. is out. Jamal Murray is not back yet and they're juggling uh, lineups. I mean, Austin Rivers is getting tremendous run on this team. Now he's, he's proven to have gained the trust of the coaching staff, but if you're relying on Austin Rivers for heavy minutes, I'm not sure what the ceiling of your team is. And I'm not slagging off on the guy. Um, you know, he's proven to be a competent pro in the league, but there is limitations within your offense and defense if that guy is going to get tremendous minutes, him and Compazzo. Compazzo's a lot of fun to watch, but, you know, defensive liability, he most definitely is. Um, and then there's Jokic just ho-humming right along, dominating the league. And the crazy thing is, if you go and look up all kinds of advanced metrics, like when you watch those games, it's basically, it's all Jokic, and the other team knows it, and they do everything that they can. And on some level, because of how well he's playing, there's not a whole lot that you can do. But then you start going and looking up all the various you know, projections and whatnot, and the advanced stats and the who is playing the best and whatnot. If you go over to 538 and their, you know, big metric to follow players is called Raptor. Um, it's an acronym. Let me see if I can find out what the the acronym stands for. Um, so Raptor stands for robust algorithm, parenthetically using player tracking and on-off ratings. Um, basically measures the number of points a player contributes to team offense and team defense per 100 possessions. That is what it's boiled down to meaning. And Jokic leads in so many Raptor categories, according to 538. It's, I mean... He's leaps and bounds. His overall Raptor rating is <clears throat> eight-ish points over the next available. Um, his wins over replacement Raptor is the highest. He's almost the highest in the Raptor for offensive. And he's number one in defensive Raptor. Uh, and you will never hear a discussion of Jokic being in the defensive player of the year or even first team all defense. Um, Cause when you watch them, you don't initially think defense, but you're like, okay, that's one. Well, you go over to B ball index and their, you know, big metric stat is called LeBron. And 
Jokic is number one in LeBron and all the various things that they do. Um, then there's like a, a real uh, plus minus and adjusted plus minus and other advanced stats that you can find across various different websites. And Jokic leads in every one of those. And it's a weird thing about the MVP discussion. It's a narrative driven discussion. And because Jokic won it last year to win it in back-to-back years, your team needs to be the same, if not better than they were last season. And you need to be playing better than you did last season. And you could easily make a case that Jokic is playing better than he did last season, but his team is nowhere near as good. And that's (coughs) because of, you know, injuries and and health and safety protocols, keeping guys out and whatnot, things that are utterly out of his control. What he can control is the output that he puts out on the court. And it's mesmerizing to watch. But because the MVP discussion is, once again, a narrative-laden discussion, Right now, he's in the mix, but if I had to guess, Steph Curry is going to win the MVP. If you took a straw poll today of those voting, Steph probably wins. And with KD being out in this recent past because of uh, you know testing positive for COVID, he's more than likely, if you look at the Vegas odds makers, fallen off ever so slightly, and Steph's lead has uh, grown a little bit more. Um but it's those two, it's Giannis, like there's, there's a few guys, but <clears throat> by numerous different metrics, Jokic should be leading the charge in this discussion, and he is not. Um, I'm not saying I would vote for him over Curry, uh, but I am saying this year's MVP race is going to be really interesting. There have been other years where you just kind of by the end, you're like, I guess I would vote for him. There's a lot of like good candidates, but nobody excellent. And this year, much like the this rookie class, I think there's a bunch of excellent MVP candidates as of right now. Uh, yeah, and this rookie class, I don't even know who wins rookie of the year. Um, because like according to NBA.com, Franz Wagner, who just put up 38 last night, is now number one. It's Ben Barnes. Um, I think Evan Mobley has made a case for being the most impactful because if you look at the Cavs without him, Cavs who are currently sitting in the top echelon of the East, um, and when they don't have Mobley, that is the biggest hindrance to their team thus far that you can tell by you know uh, uh, watching the games and also looking at the stats and box scores after the games. Um, but I mean, this this rookie class is nothing short of next level because uh, Cade Cunningham has come on strong. And then you still have the two Jalen's who are playing up and down, but still show flashes of being something really interesting. Um, so I can't wait to see how that shakes out in the end. All right, let's get over to the chat. A bunch of people have chimed in on the chat and I have not checked in with anyone thus far. Uh, Jordan Anderson says, hello. Uh, Sean Gardner says, as a Pacer fan, I never really liked Lance Stevenson. Too much of a wild card. Super frustrating to have him on your team. Uh, yeah, but for Atlanta, they just need a body. They they are crushed by health and safety protocols right now. So having an extra body means more than 
the craziness that Lance will bring. Uh, will he be on this team if everybody was healthy? Hell no. Atlanta already has a minutes problem. They have too many guys, and they probably I would assume they're going to be relatively active on the uh, the trade deadline at the trade deadline. They may not do anything, but they will definitely be fielding calls because they're not going to re- uh, you know hold on to all these guys. They can't pay everyone. So they should consolidate some of these assets and do <coughs> something either that's going to translate into win now or win next year. Um, so, but I get you with Lance. I've never really been a fan. Um, I appreciate what he can offer, but I think he's too much, too erratic with his focus. Let's put it that way. Um, so Jordan Anderson back says as a jazz fan, jazz fan, what are your thoughts on their chances to win it all? He's got jazz versus Cl- oh, Clippers tickets in March. Um, well, I mean, right now the jazz are playing some of the best basketball. And I think this is kind of the perfect season for a team like the jazz because of the continuity they have with all the health and safety, although they haven't really, uh, suffered it like they haven't suffered it like every other team has, um, they have evaded it. That could be a testament to the fact that they were the epicenter of COVID when it initially broke. So they've been determined as a team not to do that again and to be the example of how best to run your organization thereafter. But that sort of consistency uh, with players and system and scheme makes a difference for this year where there's so much up and down and turmoil. The Jazz know precisely who they are and what they do. They're flirting with various things as of right now. And what's weird is in previous seasons, the one thing you count on from the Jazz was their defense. And right now, by defensive rating, they're a roughly NBA, slightly better than NBA average team. It's their offense that is crushing. Um, and that's even with like bogey being a little up and down um, and you know, Mitchell's never going to be a 40 some odd percent three point shooter, just at the volume he shoots it at. Um, but it'll have those excellent nights where he can. Do I think the jazz can win it all? I have the same opinion of almost everybody else who is a non jazz fan. I need to see you do it first before I will believe in you and your ability to do it. Um, and you could say that for every team. But the Nuggets, before they got hurt, I really believe had something and could have won a championship. Having never seen them do it, I had a lot of belief in their, uh, basically, the sum of their parts equaling a championship. Um, But for the Jazz, we've seen a flame out several times with this the current construction of this team, roughly. And it's hard to unsee those things at this point. Do they have an opportunity to win a championship? Yeah. I think, you know, as it stands right now, the three teams in the West probably have the best top to bottom teams uh, in the league. So you'd have to put them at one through three on your overall power rankings. And then we get to the East. um, And then I think, you know, the, top three teams in the East probably make it after that. And then we start going this uh, horse trading back and forth between the two. 
So if things break right for him, I think the Jazz could very well see themselves, you know, in the Western Conference Finals and potentially in the finals themselves. But I, I don't know if they can win a championship, as I've said, because we've all seen them flame out now numerous times and against teams that they should beat pretty handily and they flame out. So we shall see. Um, then, uh, let's see, Jordan Anderson saying thoughts on, uh, Devin Booker literally doing everything for the Suns. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case for the entirety of the season. And they've also had good games from other guys. Um, Mikael Bridges has had a few games here and there where because of his plays lifted him up. Cam Johnson coming off the bench, um, just being a spark plug has really helped them. You cannot you know, shove aside the steadying effect of someone like Chris Paul uh, and the identity that he gives a team, even if he's not playing, you know, at the most optimal of levels, although I I think he's having another good season. And as of right now, of the two Suns players that make the All-Star game, I would actually assume most voters go for Chris Paul. Um, I think one of the two of them should definitely make it because Steph's going to get the other uh, guard position. And then you have three front front court players and you're not going to put DeAndre Ayton over your other front court options um, in the West. At least I wouldn't. So I think there's a chance for uh, Draymond to get one of those front court spots and Gobert to get one of those front court spots. Um, just because I think there needs to be a Utah Jazz player in the starting lineup. And then um, it's not going to be Donovan Mitchell over Steph and or Chris Paul slash Devin Booker. So Donovan would get, you know, first off the bench kind of role. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if I agree with the he's doing everything for the Suns. Because there are nights when, you know, he shot okay and they still win the game. Um, I think it's been a very much a team effort on a lot of these nights. But that being said, I haven't watched every one of their games. And certain nights you can look at a box score and it looks like somebody was the best player out there. But if you watch the game, you're like, yeah, they scored. But, you know, player Y over here did all the little things and was definitely the most important. Uh, I've watched probably like eight or 10 Suns games so far this year. They're a fun team and I like watching them. Plus being on the West coast, it's easier um, to see their games and anybody else on the West coast. Hence my, I almost always have a take on the, the Warriors or the Lakers or the Clippers, uh, the Suns uh, to some degree, the Nuggets just, I see a lot more of those guys games. Although, Weirdly, I haven't watched that much Portland because they don't interest me in the slightest this year. I don't know. We'll see if that changes. Uh, Nazir Muhammad says, the Sixers are only five games back from the Nets. Who do you think will finish in the top three seeds of the East? Uh, If everyone stays healthy, I think the current construction of top three is where it ends up with top three. It's Nets, Bulls, and Bucks. Um, I would pick the Bucks to make it out of the East as your number one overall favorite in the playoffs. 
the regular season. Now, I don't think that they want to push themselves to be number one out of the East. I don't think that there's any motivation to do that and any need, really. They've proved last year winning a championship that they didn't need to be the number one overall when they uh, had in years past. And right now, they aren't even at full strength. And I think that they're the best chance to make it out of the East. I mean, Lopez has not played yet. And they've only had their core back for, you know, a third-ish, maybe a little over of the season so far, um, where it's all three of them out there. And then you still have health and safety protocols pulling guys out. Like Giannis just made it back uh, within the past few days, but he was out for a chunk after Holiday and Middleton were out to start the season. Holiday came back sooner. Middleton took a little bit longer. Um, so this team isn't fully realized yet, and they're still third in the East overall. So I would say those three teams are your top three. Um, I still don't trust the Sixers. I still feel like they're going to be up and down. Will they be able to make a, a trade with you know the big piece they have? Obviously, in Ben Simmons, time will tell how much is Maury really willing to sit on him instead of flipping him into another player that could best maximize one of Joel Embiid's prime years. Because it looks like the window on Embiid is going to be small. It usually is for centers. Uh, it's it's rare when one can hold up for, you know, a long duration. And Embiid has health issues or has had health issues, but it's pretty much guaranteed to sit out like 15 to 20 games every season. But right now, you know, if he plays like last year, he was in the MVP discussion. But when you can't play a full season, it takes you out of that discussion. And by the end, he kind of resigned himself to the fact that he wasn't part of the overall, even though he felt on any given night he was the best player in the league, which is great to have uh, in your star player. And he was proving it a lot of nights. Now, I think he gets a tremendous number of foul calls that would dry up and do tend to dry up come playoff time. Um, so he needs to not rely on those so much. You know, it's what happens to like James Harden and during his Rockets years assuming you're going to get somewhere between 14 and 18 free throws a night, night in, night out in the playoffs is just a fool's errand. Um, it's a fallacy. It's never going to happen. But is it possible for, say, you know, the Sixers to climb up over where they're at right now and enter into discussion of getting, you know, they're currently sitting at six spot at 18 and 16. Um, but they are kind of up and down. They're 18 and 16, so two games over 500. And the one thing they benefit from, they could end up going into fifth place because above them are the, uh, the Cavaliers. And Rubio went down last night with a knee injury that did not look good. It's not one of those ones where you're watching it and you almost you get nauseous because of how it looks. Uh, but he crumpled as soon as he planted his left leg and went down and immediately clutched at it and waved to the bench and to the coaching staff, hey, I need off. Um, this isn't good. And they've already dealt with, you know, Sexton is gone. Mobley has been in and out of the lineup. Um, 
So if they lose another guy that's playing big minutes for them and playing really excellent, give them a second ball handler and a playmaker. Because when you have three bigs out there and market in Mobley and Allen to have two small guards that can run around and do all these things at various times and run with different units to have another person that you trust on there. So now you're down two of those guys. And, uh, you know, Mobley keeps having these weird little ding injuries that kind of keep him out of the lineup for a few games here, a few games there. And when he goes out, Cleveland falters. So only being two games back of the Cavs right now, Sixers can inch upward and potentially take over that fifth seed. Although you could also sell me on the Hornets kicking it in gear and being able to do that as well. Um, I think you, I, and most everyone else would trust the Sixers more just because they have a larger proven track record of being able to sustain at a high level over someone like the Hornets. But what benefits someone like the Hornets is youth. They've got the younger, fresher legs and might be able to push these teams that are taxed personnel-wise and squeeze out a couple extra wins here and there that they wouldn't have potentially gotten in a regular season. Um, So it'll be interesting. Uh, Sean Gardner asks, what about Miles Turner for Defensive Player of the Year? I don't think it has any chance of happening. He might be in the mix for discussion, but especially if he gets traded at the trade deadline, if it is going to be a fire sale for the Pacers, I think as soon as you get traded, you're out of any kind of discussion unless the new team he goes to, he's even more of a defensive presence and really alters the complexion of who they are. I don't really see any chance for Miles Turner for to be Defensive Player of the Year. I don't think anybody would vote for somebody who's on the trading block because it an error. I think it subconsciously undercuts the voters estimation of who that player is like, Oh, it's one of those, Oh, if he was so great, then why are they trying to get rid of him? Even though that isn't part of the discussion of why a team does what it does. Uh, sometimes you just need to get cheaper, get younger and trade someone for future assets. This is the Pacers we're talking about. And team not known to to go into any remote territory near the luxury tax. So they need to build through the draft as opposed to signing players and free agency or retaining their guys at a high number. Um, so it hurts someone like Miles Turner. Uh, Jake Cleveland. Oh, just went and watched No Way Home and barely made it back in time to to watch today's show. Well, welcome, Jake. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, muddy water is Wagner and Jokic. I'm guessing those are his two votes for rookie of the year and, uh, MVP. Um, we're not even halfway yet. So it's kind of hard to really cement who you think it should be. I I think especially for MVP right now, the race is too good. I mean, it's coming up on, usually I do at the halfway mark in the season. I do my who do I think MVP is and sixth man and defensive player of the year and all that jazz. And this year, because it's been so muddy with all the guys in and out, and it's hard to get a feel for who any of these teams are. Um, and at this point, I just don't care anymore um, about the, the muddiness. I'm just like, you know what? This isn't going to change. So you need to, look at the the landscape as it is, not as you want it to be or as you felt it should be. Um, 
Daniel Savoy says, well, who out of Minnesota? I'm assuming you mean Anthony Edwards. Uh, but he's saying that the uh, guy out of Minnesota is doing well. Um, and I'm not sure if that's in reference to him being up for some sort of award. Um, potentially. Who knows? So Daniel Nishimoto says, do you think the NBA should shut down for at least a couple of weeks because of COVID or should they start limiting fan attendance at least? Well, the fan attendance would probably come down to a municipality issue. Um, the league could induce a change, but they'd have to get the players association on board. And the thing is they would need the majority of owners to agree to it. And I just don't think they're going to get majority of owners to agree to that. Um, they've already taken a financial hit over not having players or pardon me, fans in attendance. So they need those fans back to help subsidize their salaries. Otherwise, if they take away fans again, that I think the owners by rights should then turn to the players and say, we need to, across the board, renegotiate contracts and everybody takes a percentage pay cut because we're not generating the revenues to justify these contracts. And there's no way the players agree to that. Secondarily, the idea of floating, shutting down the season for a short amount of time and bubble, both sides do not want to do because it's going to affect bottom lines or if they shut down for two weeks, they don't want to touch where the playoffs and predominantly where the finals land. They want to leave that for now in stone. Here is when it's set to start so they can sell the advertising, line it up with their partners and not renege on any of the contracts and uh, uh, you know good faith that they have. So if they were to pause the season and then say, but we are still starting the playoffs on this date. Then we're going to get into an issue league wide that only certain teams are going to face as of right now, like the bulls and the Raptors and the nets um, in that they're going to have to make up a number of games and they're going to have to do some of these more than likely at weird times or on back-to-backs that they didn't originally anticipate. So if they do this league wide, now you're condensing, say, for two weeks, you're going to have to find room to get five to seven games later on that you're going to have to squeeze into the schedule. And that's five to seven games across the board for every team, not even accounting for those that have already had games postponed. So take you know those those teams that I gave you an example of before. And now instead of the five to seven games that everybody has, they have to squeeze in seven to 12 games in a much shorter amount of time. And that's just adding to the potential risk of injury. You're going to lose the revenue dollars for advertising, uh, ticket sales, concessions, everything, you know, across the board. So I, the NBA and the MBPA seem dead set on maintaining the status quo, um, which 
is the other thing that kind of chaps my ass about LeBron complaining about COVID and his team not looking like it should, and they're facing issues that nobody else is facing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a, everybody's facing it. B, if you wanted to to have a cessation of the league or was willing to take a pay cut, if you were the face of that change, you would probably get the preponderance of individuals to come along with you. And then you could publicly force the owners into a position where they're going to be the bad guys if they don't agree with the players. So you could be one of the, the you know, the catalysts for change. Um, and you're choosing not to. So I don't want to hear about the woe is me. You can't judge our team because, you know, we have a Sisyphean task of pushing this boulder uphill. It's like everybody's got their own boulder to push this season. And dealing with Anthony Davis being out of your lineup is something you signed up for when you helped get him out of New Orleans. Um, so anyway, no, I don't think the NBA is going to do as of right now. And the CDC just reduced the quarantine time down. They cut it in half to five days if you've been boosted which 97% of the league has had their vaccine and 65% of those eligible to be boosted have been boosted. Um, <clears throat> because some people that got the vaccine, like got the Johnson and Johnson, there is no booster for that, uh, that I know of at least, but the boosters are for Pfizer and Moderna. So of that 97%, I don't know how many were the Johnson and Johnson. Um, if I was a player, I, would kind of maybe lean towards getting the Johnson Johnson because it's one shot as opposed to two. Um, so you're not out as potentially long for as great a duration. Um, so yeah, it's as of right now, Mr. Nishimoto or Moto. Um, I don't, I think that dealing with the randomness of, wow, I don't know who any of these guys are. This is like a G league showcase is going to be nor the norm, especially over the winter months. Um, and post-holidays, uh, post this was always coming with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. This was always coming, and they knew it. So the league is going to ride this roller coaster until it's over and then potentially reassess at that point. Uh, unless league-wide, too many teams are out. I just don't see them adjusting as of right now, but that's just my guess. Um, so a muddy water says, would the Sixers trade and beat for Jokic? If Ben comes back with the new coach, I think both sides say no to that, but especially Denver. I don't think why would Denver trade their MVP? I wouldn't do that in a million years. If I was Denver, especially with Jokic playing at another MVP caliber season, not to say that Embiid's not, you know, in the same ballpark, but um, I don't even think that phone call gets made from either side. Uh, I mean, I realize, Muddy, that you're predicating that if Ben comes back with, with a new coach, but that's a lot of if Ben comes back and the Sixers are willing to move off of Doc Rivers, who's once again beloved by his uh, team, it seems, and the only real friction he's got is with Ben, and uh, it seems like a lot of people in that organization have friction with Ben, so... That's a lot of ifs, and uh, I don't think much reality to it, uh, unfortunately. Excuse me. Um, so, 
<coughs> oh, Nazir Muhammad says, I can see that if Simmons wants to stay and be with the team, but he does not want to be there. And between the two, Embiid is better than Simmons overall. Exactly. Um, but I, I just, I don't see it happening. Um, not a bad thought experiment though. So, you know, you're keeping it lively up there, floating around potential ideas. Um, all right. So any, is there anything else you guys want to touch on today? I mean, we could go through and discuss, you know, the teams at the top, teams in the middle, teams in the bottom. I think it's a lot of, there's only seven, maybe eight teams in real discussion to do anything. There's a whole bunch of the middle. And then what I do find interesting is the bottom of the league are not the doormats that they usually are um, this season. Now, once again, it could be a, so many teams have weird lineups and guys in and out that it's hard to properly gauge. But of those bottom tier teams, there's only a couple that I think are truly terrible. Uh, like in the West, Houston is the worst at 10 and 25. OKC is 12 and 21. The Pelicans are 13 and 22. Portland is 13 and 20. And Sacramento's 14 and 21. Those are your bottom out of the play in games. And the weird thing is, I think on Oklahoma City and Houston, on some level, are a tougher out than New Orleans, Portland, and Sacramento. I've watched games from all of them, and I think you get more heart from OKC and Houston. They're just so young that they don't always play the smartest basketball, but the athleticism and talent uh, and drive, motivation, all that jazz are definitely there, whereas Portland is floundering, and I think that team just doesn't give a shit. New Orleans uh, is designed for Zion, and Zion is out. Even with the uptick in uh, Brandon Ingram's production, Sacramento is Sacramento. And then on the flip side, I mean, Detroit's the worst team in basketball, 5-27, and 27, but if you've watched Detroit, they're frisky. They're not like the worst team ever. Orlando is 7-28. and 28. I still think are an interesting team. I would put them potentially as the worst in the East, but for the first time in forever, it's not necessarily a bad thing. They have some pieces that might actually be something in the future. Uh, the Pacers are 14 and 20, but they're, you know, a tough out, just like the Raptors right above them, a tough out. Atlanta uh, is 15 and 18. I, it, Atlanta, it's all about defense. They could play a lick of defense. They'd be much better because their offense is fantastic. Um, but there's not a full doormat, I think, this year, which is another interesting thing about this season. Um, so Muddy Water asks, well, we'll go back up because a bunch of you chimed in really quickly. Um, let's see. Tamor Khan says, do you think the Kings get it together enough to make the play-in? No, I think that the Kings are going to potentially shop De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, and figure out what they've got with their younger guys in Mitchell and uh, uh, Halliburton. 
And if they can get off those other contracts and get assets back and draft picks, I think they would do that. I don't think that they'll get it together, even if there is a mandate from uh, management that we want to make the playoffs. And look, they very well could make that play-in game. They're just a game out behind San Antonio. Uh, That being said, they are a big fat question mark, and I don't know exactly what I'm getting from them night in, night out. And given that's the case, what is the incentive to make the play-in game? Uh, there's, there really isn't any. Because if you make that 9 or 10 spot, you got to win two straight to make it into the actual playoffs. And uh, I just don't foresee that happening. But you never know. Um, Muddy Water says, what do you think of Vooch? Uh, he sees that I'm a Bulls fan and greetings from Sweden. Well, hello, you know. To you in Sweden, hope things are well. Uh, he's great. I think the DeRozan quote after that last game where all three of them went off, Levine, DeRozan were the first teammates to have 30-plus points and nine-plus assists since Jordan and Pippen. Um, but Vooch also had a great game, and DeRozan was right to say, look, Vooch is excellent, and you know, you want to praise him for this good game, but we all know that he has that in him and he is a top tier talent at his position in this league. Um, so he rightfully expects that of himself as do we. And it's awesome to see him playing like that because we all know that he can do it night in night out. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Vooch is great. Um, a better defender than I think most people give him credit for. Uh, but I also think that that helps too, when you have great perimeter defense, um, it reduces the amount that they need to lean on you to be a stalwart in the paint and just to shut guys down. But uh, I think, you know, I still think the asking price for him was a shade steep, but given where we're at right now, second in the East, uh, I'm not going to quibble with it. And I'm happy uh, because that would be a low draft pick anyway. And uh, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Um, Jordan Anderson asks, what teams do you think are fighting for the eighth seed in the West and East? And what teams might just miss the playoffs this year? Why is it's currently constructed? You know, the play-in games in the East. So seven through 10 are Charlotte, the Wizards, Boston, New York. And just above are Cleveland and Philly at five and six. And just below are the Hawks and uh, Toronto at 11 and 12 and in the West, the play in game seven through 10 are the Lakers, the Mavs, the T wolves and the Spurs just above them are the nuggets and Clippers and five, six and 11, 12 are the Kings and Blazers. So you're saying if the top portion of each division stays put and is static, I think in the East one through four, those guys are in Nets, Bulls, Bucks, heat. I think they're in. Um, and I think anyone would say that right now. Um, I think Cleveland could unfortunately regress a little bit here. Just if Rubio is going to be out for a decent amount of time and if they still have Mobley in and out of the lineup with just like these small little dings here and there, he's also a rook. Um, so he's not used to the wear and tear of a full 82 game season. I could see them dropping down into this play in game kind of situation and maybe Charlotte inches up. Um, Sadly, as it were, I the Wizards are trending in the wrong direction. The Celtics 
are trending in the wrong direction and the Knicks technically are treading water. So there's a damn good chance that one of those three teams is out. And I think the only of the teams below that has a real chance to jump in are the Hawks. Uh, Toronto could surprise me and make me crow on that, but I think the Hawks, if they just tweak their defense a tiny bit, their offense is so good that it'll propel them into this discussion. And then, you know, one of those three teams above them in the Wizards, Celtics, and Knicks, you know, could fall out. Um, Because I do think the Hawks are technically a superior team to all those teams. Um, So we shall see. In the West, I think your locks as of right now are, you know, one through four, assuming Memphis's health, you know, maintains, but Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah, no one questions. Memphis is at four. Denver at five. I have no idea if that maintains. Jokic needs to continue to play at the highest of level and they get Jamal Murray back sooner rather than later because Michael Porter Jr., I have not looked for an update for a while, nor have I heard one, which kind of tells me everything I need to know. Um, the Clippers. I don't know if they're sitting at 500 in the sixth position, right? That's kind of how weak the West is. You know, the Lakers are at seven and they're at 17 and 18. The Mavs are at 16 and 17 in eighth position. The T-Wolves 16 and 18 and nine. And the Spurs are at 14 and 19 in their 10th position. So any of those teams below, I mean, technically Portland who's sitting at 12 is a is one game back of San Antonio. They could easily leap into that. I think the the bottom nine ten position right now in the West is so sad, but especially the tenth position that uh, you could sell me on a number of teams. You know, making it into if OKC goes on a strong enough run, they could easily leapfrog. They're only two games back, and we're almost at the halfway point. So it's entirely possible. I think that, you know, roughly 8 through 15 to 7 through 15, even if you want to include the Clippers right at 500, is kind of a quagmire of bullshit um, that I don't necessarily trust any of those teams for the long term, uh, especially if the Clippers, a lot of people seem to think that Kawhi is going to make an attempt to come back this season. And if he does and plays anywhere near, well, that makes them suddenly more interesting. Um, and the Lakers, once they get AD back, should have you know more consistency compared to a bunch of these other teams. They'll at least have an understanding of who their identity is, although they've had, I think it's 19 different starting lineups thus far this season. I will give LeBron, you know, some a little bit of leeway there. Yeah, having different lineups and whatnot is tough to get any kind of rhythm. That being said, if you want to consider yourself the greatest player of all time, you kind of need to just rise, rise above those turmoil, or at the very least, don't publicly state it. Um, you know, it's like him showing up at the finals suddenly with a broken hand after there have been no discussion of it whatsoever, and just like, okay, this is basically throwing a dart and painting a bullseye on it afterwards around it afterwards and saying, Oh no, this is, this is what it was the whole time. You're like, really? Cause there was no discussion of this while it was happening. No mention um, to chant, trying to change the narrative. So it's beneficial to you and doesn't undermine your legacy. Uh, and I, I understand why you're protective of that as well. You should be, but um, I don't know to me personally, not entering into that discussion and into that fray makes more sense. 
but it's also easy to say that from the outside looking in. Um, all right. So I think, uh, I think that's it for today. I think we covered a decent amount of stuff overall. I appreciate everybody that joined me in the chat today. Another lively chat. Um, and, uh, I apologize last week. I posted, uh, the show on the wrong feed, although we still got people that, uh, tuned in on that feed. So thank you. Um, but a uh, mistake on my part. So we rectified. It's the first time it's ever happened. And, uh, you know, several seasons of doing this. Um, but that is it for uh, dropping dimes this week. I hope everybody had a good holidays. Enjoy your new year's. I'll see you guys next week with another edition. You can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. Uh, until I see you again, stay safe out there, uh, wear your mask, get your vaccine, get boosted. I got to get boosted still. Um, the holidays have not been the best time for me to make carve out time to go get boosted, but what are you going to do? Need to get off my ass and stop making excuses. Um, all right, that is it. I'll see you guys next week with another another edition of Dropping Times. Until then, adios. Mm-hmm.